0: Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest-growing companies
1: to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis.
0: All right. In this episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, I'm speaking with Santi Jaramillo, the CEO and co-founder of Amplify, a company that provides insights to unlock the potential in teams. In our conversation, Santi shares their journey to product market fit, which not surprisingly involved a few twists and turns as they pivoted to really dial in that product market fit. Once they had it, they used a pretty traditional model to scale it. So everything from lead gen through content marketing and thought leadership to SDRs to qualify leads, sales reps to then close that business and customer success to help companies have success as they implemented the solution. Of course, when COVID-19 hit, A lot of businesses changed how they were assessing different solutions, and it obviously impacted their business, like a lot of businesses have been hit. But what I think was great about the Amplify team is that they were able to look at their mission and say, what are some of the new emerging problems that have resulted from the virus, and how can we how can we help companies deal with some of those problems, so some of the remote working and and other stresses that are in people 's lives so Santi 's going to talk a bit about what they 've done to tap into that to help customers along the way, and then ultimately, I think they 're going to be able to connect the two to make the business even better coming on the other side of uh, of the crisis that 's really shut down a lot of businesses across the world so Let's dig into this. We'll get started with my conversation with Amplify CEO Santi Jaramillo. Hey, hi, Santi. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast.
1: Thank you, Sean. Excited to be on it.
0: Yeah, this will this will be fun. I know, uh, and uh, all of our worlds have been turned upside down. So it's nice to be able to just kind of take a step back and and talk about business and and probably reference a little bit of what's going on in the world, but more importantly, just you know, how, how your business is growing and what you've done to get to where you are today. So um, before we really dig into that, how about you just give us a quick introduction to what Amplify is and what problem it solves? Sure.
1: Uh, amplify is a software company that helps uh, really do some consulting as well but at software at the core and what we do is we help our customers solve the problem of organizational health and employee engagement it can be so hard uh, as an entrepreneur as a CEO as a head of HR to understand what's the thing what's the number one thing for how I could best unlock the potential of my teams and my people to create high- performing teams and ultimately accomplish business outcomes and there's so many ideas out there and we help them distill with clarity and confidence what is their number one thing and then we help them actually uh, execute on it and so it's an entire uh, methodology of seeking in employee feedback prioritizing it and taking action on the things that matter the most that will yield the most uh, people growth and mission accomplishments for the business
0: mm-hmm. and then you so you mentioned it's it's software with, with a little bit of consulting um, how do you primarily make money then?
1: Sure. So it's a it's a subscription uh that we, we charge for uh typically a year. Um and an organization uh would pay us or a team would pay us um for for that year. And um uh, that's how we typically make money.
0: So you're a co-founder, so you you've been at it from the beginning, right? You've got it. And then so what when did you guys start the business?
1: Yeah. So uh, there was a couple of pivots uh, actually to that. And so really we've been focused on employee engagement measurement, this current category with this current product, um three three years exactly.
0: Okay. All right. And so when did you decide that that this was the right pivot? How did you how did you hone in on it?
1: It was solving an important and costly problem. Um, and we were actually solving it for our customers. Uh we were really good at Sales and marketing uh, with the first couple and kind of brute forced our way into some um, revenue and then found out later that um, we weren't solving that deep and existential of a problem for organizations and uh, our growth was going to be capped. And so in this one, we saw a large market, uh, a time the 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 product's time was now and we had actually had deep product market fit around a problem that really mattered um and that that was the set of ingredients that we knew were needed to build uh, a large organization make a big impact and and just one out of those kind of few variables were off every time um and we would do the hard decision to to pivot and and this one it felt like it was the right time the right team the right problem um and and the right fit
0: all of us are pretty driven and so it's 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 you yeah, know, you can't build a successful company without being somewhat driven and stubborn. So it's sometimes hard to move on before you kind of pivot into something that that's working well. What, what were the signals that said, okay, there's just, we're, we're working hard and banging our heads against uh, the wall.
1: Oh boy. You, you just hit on like one of the hardest dynamics, uh, of being an entrepreneur is figuring out when to cut your losses and where one more try <laughs> is, is what's going to get you there. Um, so it's an excellent question. So for us, it was a couple of things. Number one, it was it was really hard to hire sales reps and predictably getting getting them to ramp without co-founder or VP of sales involvement in a deal. That was one thing. It was really scaling. Uh, number two, there's a lack of inbound interest. Um, folks coming to us and and being interested in what we had to offer being a magnet. We had to go out and sort of claw and, and fight every ground of progress, you know, in the market versus it feeling a little bit easier. Like there's there's like we're we're swimming with the current versus (laughs) against the current. And number three, it it was, of course, um, a combination of churn or, you know, other leading indicators of usage or adoption or leading indicator that uh, happened before churn, but that, you know, told us that it was probably going to churn later on.
0: If they're not using, they're probably not going to renew or eventually they're going to figure out that they're wasting their money.
1: You got it. You got it.
0: (laughs) And then, so... So you said now for three years you've been on this track and um how, how many people do you have working in the company now?
1: Yeah, so uh over 40 now.
0: Okay, cool. And then how has COVID affected the the business? Has it um has it yeah you know, obviously there's there's some companies like Airbnb and Uber that are just doing massive layoffs and it's it's really I think it's difficult for everybody but but some businesses are a lot more affected than others. so how how would you uh, rate your business in terms of how it's affected?
1: yeah you know we're, we're neither um, 3m uh, nor uh, are we event bright, you know in that way um, where it's just all hundred percent extreme in one direction um, it's it's a tale of two cities um, on on the one hand, You know, we had exposure to market segments um, that were affected, you know, by COVID and uh, had to do layoffs or just pause indefinitely. And and that's certainly, you know, when we had live deals in those markets or had customers affected in those markets, there was a lot of pausing on deals um, or on on. You know, on sort of adoption uh, of the technology, um, but it, it's also led to some tremendous uh, growth um, that, that I think is you know we're going to talk about uh, a little bit here later. Um, so so for us, it, it really was a rally cry to say how do we live out our purpose? How do we contribute to this issue right now? It wasn't even about, frankly, the conversation didn't start with how do we mine this for you know more ARR, you know, and more recurring revenue. It was like. How do we lend a hand because the world is burning and we think we can help? Um, How do we do that? And so the team got rallied around this idea of a judo flip. I'm sure if you're familiar with with judo I'm not <laughs> that much but but the co- the basic concept of the judo flip is you use your opponent's energy and momentum against them right so they come at you and you use that momentum to sort of flip them over um and so for us it was like wait, how do we use this momentum to sort of flip the opposite and um and that's you know we launched a, a free tool for managers no catch no no like real upsell <laughs> path for us you know at this point but it was just a free tool that a manager in less than 5 minutes um, can find out, can send out an an assessment, really intelligently worded questions. And then a couple of days later, find out their number one opportunity to help their team, uh, Feel safer and have higher sense of well-being as they go about their business, you know, in their company, and that has blown up to uh, more than 10x the number of customers on that in a couple of, in a few weeks than you know then, then the results of three years of blood, sweat, and tears uh, to build up our you know paid uh, customer base. So it's it's been a bit of a tale of two cities, but um you know confident that uh, obviously we're gonna um you know. Uh, find the path and and continue to to deepen where it's working and continue growing in the trajectory that we have been for the last couple of years.
0: Right. So so basically, your core business has been looking at employee engagement and productivity, and obviously, in in almost every company, people are pretty distracted right now. Whether it's adjusting to working from home or trying to figure out how am I going to go grocery shopping and not get sick, or you know maybe even having sick people in the family. So it's pretty pretty easy to be distracted and and maybe less enthusiastic in in day-to-day work and so the the problems that emerged around that you've you've been able to help companies with a with a shorter term solution with those problems and and then hopefully Bridge that to your to your core solution. That's that's more of an ongoing uh, employee engagement solution. Is that is that about right?
1: Yeah, yeah, you got it. And interestingly, the data that we've gleaned from users is that so it, back in December we did a study, and it was about sixty percent of employees out there um, in sort of the technology and services fields where we researched were, were burnt out, which is a, a, a really wild stat. <laughs> and today, the interesting thing is there's not less or more burnout happening than December, but it's coming from the home part of the work from home equation, meaning an employee's main source of burnout right now is trying to work from home. And it's the work, the home stressors, the barking dog, the kids that need e-learning assistance, etc. That's the most stressful part of life right now. And, 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 uh, you know, six months ago, it was the work part of life uh, was the stressful part. So no doubt that, uh, you know, what happens in our daily life uh can can very much affect uh work and and we're we're you know, we're starting to see that bleed over it's really paying attention to the whole person at work and the whole person at home
0: yeah it's interesting because it's like you know a lot of people point to the lifestyle benefits of not having a long commute but it's it's pretty impactful like if 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 you have the right type of commute there's a pretty good unwind period from from work to transition to home life. And and I noticed myself more, more and more, I was already working from home before, but I noticed, you know, you get that like call for like, come eat dinner. And it's like, okay, I got to instantly switch to like, family head and not work head and and it's uh it's yeah I'm, I'm I've, I've actually started to go down and uh, have a little boat that I go and work on and I'm I'm so much happier at dinner if I if I do the little commute back from my boat and see the sunset coming in and just like okay I'm unwound and I'm I'm ready to 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 ease back in but it's uh it's a pretty major disruption for most people out there when when ev- everything gets blended it really is. You know, and, and
1: about three or four weeks ago there was a lot of novelty around it for the folks that hadn't worked from home and, and did that. It was kind of a fun little experiment. <laughs> and then we started seeing the data about two weeks ago, it started getting really old. <laughs> right,
0: and, right. and
1: and folks were like, Okay, like this is this is this is not working anymore. And, uh, and so companies had to start facilitating some of the companies that we saw engagement score increases and improvements in performance were the ones who realized that they needed to do a bit of a work from home reset, kind of like a start, stop, keep, hey, hey, and helping their employees uh, think through, you know, wh- what changes do you need to make and how can we, the organization, the business, help support you in making those changes that is going to make this um, situation a bit more tenable <laughs> for, for some sometimes longer Periods of time than we
0: expected. Yeah. So how do you how do you separate out sort of lack of work happiness from general lack of happiness? Because I, I noticed you said about two weeks ago there was this shift, but I, I also feel like about two weeks ago there was a shift to much more of just people being really tired of being quarantined and and you know massive dis- divisiveness where. Some people were saying, stay in and be safe. And other people were like, no, it's over. And I'm going to go and hang out with a whole bunch of people at a bar. And, and, uh, and, and it's just created a lot of stress for a lot of people. Clearly, that's going to carry into work. And again, as we were talking, like the, the home life and work life blending so much more, but How do you know if it's sort of a work issue or just a life issue when when people are unhappy? Yeah, it doesn't matter.
1: It's a good question. Um, It is. It's by the questions we ask, right? So that was one of the benefits of why why we believe so many people signed up for this is because we did all the work of thinking through how do you carefully word each question to ask about something that is within the control (laughs) of the employee and of the manager because it isn't. If it isn't, we found that it's very frustrating to surface insights uh, to organizations about things that they can't control or they can't change. And so, what we did is we worked with literal PhDs in organizational psychology, communications, et etc., to craft really careful questions that asked about the work part of the experience, uh, and then specifically we have one around work from home. So you have to start to you know tease into the the, the home life, but only as it relates to how it's affecting their work life. So right. Yeah. right
0: and so that's one of the things that I, I know um, when we had spoken earlier and I think I also read it in some press that when you ran the assessment on your own team that you that you found you needed to make some adjustments and and it looks like you've got like Fridays off I don't know if that's permanent or for a period of time but I, I guess that's where it comes back to whether it's whether it's work driven life driven or just situationally driven driven that if people are at, at at their edge and they're not engaged in work then whatever the cause is you need to make the adjustments in order to get them more engaged in work so how how did how did that come about and and did I did I characterize that right? Is it is it Friday's off for you guys now?
1: Yeah. So so what happened is, is we, of course, um, use our, we eat our own dog, we drink our own champagne and use our own tool and solution internally. And so we're looking at Amplify our t- own team's employee engagement and we actually found that we went too far on the curve of productivity and you can actually go too far. I'm not sure if that's ever happened to you, but you've, you've gotten burnt out and, and you stop being productive. And so that's what happened to our team is we rallied so well, to release this well-being tool in two weeks at the peak COVID, and then reacted to the massive demand for a couple of weeks afterwards, and our team had all the signs of burnout. Uh, when, when I mean that, how could we tell? Several employee engagement drivers were low. The rest driver, so rest, meaning can you come back to work recharge, was really low. Um, a sense of competency was fairly low, meaning I have the energy I need to hit my goals. That was really low. So we saw this pattern. It became very clear our team is tired, and so what are we going to do about it? And, and we, we brainstormed different ideas um, and realized that people felt really weird about taking time off because they're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like they're not traveling. There's no spring break. The kids are already home. And so we realized that, and I, I, frankly, I realized that I myself felt guilty about taking time off and I'm the CEO and the co-founder and I felt guilty taking time off. And so we realized that to sort of get over that stigma, we would have to sort of mandate some recovery and some rest time for the team. And instead of, you know teams being hobbled by having one person not there one day, one person not there one day, we thought, you know, the way to hit all these objectives is to just mandate one week off per week for the rest of May to give our team, you know, four or three-day weekends, actually one four-day weekend here <laughs> uh, coming up, you know, in, for Memorial Day, and that we thought that that could um, really help. And of course, we're going to measure afterwards and, and you know, see see where uh, our team uh, is that and we actually took that. It was an early and risky, nobody had like done that yet. And uh, my co founder announcing it on Facebook, uh, excuse me, on Facebook, on LinkedIn um, got it's now over 5 million views on LinkedIn that his post announcing it got. So it went viral beyond anything. It just, I think it was the right message at the right time. And other people were feeling really tired and really wishing or hoping that their employers would making a choice. And it was a bold call that when I, Adam first uh, told me about it, I was like, <sighs> Sounds really risky. I wonder what our investors are going to think, you know, um, that we've gotten soft um, or something. And uh, boy, you know, did it turn out to be a decision that just needed a little bit of courage, but was so right for our team and seemed to hit a strike a chord um, on LinkedIn.
0: That's awesome. I I remember a couple of years ago, um, I sat my team down and uh, before before I sold Growth Hackers, and I, I sat the team down and I said, "Good news, everyone." I've, I've decided I'm going to institute a work from home policy and you guys get to pick the day and they were all really excited. And I told them they could pick either Saturday or Sunday and they were not very (laughs) excited. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that was, mine was a little different policy, I guess. (laughs) That's that's hilarious. (laughs) Uh, I had one of my colleagues record their expressions when they found that. (laughs) Um, so, uh, what what would you say have been um, some of the the key success drivers up to this point? Like let let's say before COVID, what were the what was it that actually um, kind of got you to to the point where you could scale around that product market fit?
1: Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. Uh, let me know if this is the question that you're asking or not. You know, before it really took an HR person, a chief people officer, VP of HR at a company who had tried some other type of employee feedback, employee surveys, and it hadn't worked. And they realized that it wasn't just a software thing that was needed, but it needed expert consulting and a proven methodology. And so they had gotten burned by our category of software only, and they needed something different. And that's what got the sale. And then we realized that during COVID, HR froze up, meaning... HR was overwhelmed by dealing with work-from-home policies and keeping people safe. They were not taking demos for new software vendors. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. And we realized that the manager was left pretty unsupported by HR and by the situation. And they're the ones on the front lines having to You know, talk to team members and assuage their fears and make changes at a team level that would, you know, um, that would work for both the company and the individual. And so one of the I think one of the bold decisions is we flipped our buyer, if you will, um, from the HR person, which would for three years traditionally to the manager based on that. And that was what I believe unlocked so much um, because it uh, it would have gone nowhere. I think uh, sort of targeting HR directly just because of how much they had on their plate. So I think that was one of the things that this, this well-being tool um, hit on. I think the sec- the second thing is we had built in product market fit in the sense that we understood what the number one topic was on a manager's mind and the same number one topic was pretty much consistent across 100% of our markets <laughs> every you know for for the for the month of april every single manager um pretty much in the us said one thing which was how do i help my team navigate this craziness of covid uh and help them have emotional psychological and physical well-being what what do i do um I'm overwhelmed by best practices and lists and things online, but what does my team on a personalized basis know? And we hit on that sort of the right topic at the right time to the right person, which was the manager, you know, user. And we made it really, really easy for a manager to sort of input their team's email addresses, you know, hit send, and in just a couple of days, come back and review their results, which of course, we were able to cut out a lot of, suboptimal user experiences because we had built those experiences before in our software, right? How do you, how do you collect emails, run a survey and display results?
0: Yeah. And then, and then before the crisis, it sounds like, I mean, the business did well before the crisis to get to the point where you are today by targeting the HR teams. So in, in that sense, what, what sort of, what worked to get the business to the point where it was, before the crisis?
1: Ah, yes, got it. Um, I think so education and thought leadership were big um, in the early days, Um, meaning we, I co-wrote a book called Agile Engagement, really bringing the agile methodology that we all know in technology software to HR, which is a completely unknown place for that through Wiley. And then I went on a speaking tour. And so last year I spoke in 30 plus different cities and um, traveled way, way, way too much. Um, and, and my co-founder spoke a lot and, uh, it created those early advocates who, you know, went out on a limb to buy, you know, our software, even though it may have had a couple less features than our, one of our competitors who had raised a hundred million and had been at it for three or four more years. Um, and it activated this, um, because they got to see my co-founder and I, you know, in person, uh, it activated this, this, this advocacy, this, this loyalty, this um, word of mouth kind of engine. Um, so I think that was one of the pieces. Uh, number two, um, we've been open sourcing what we learn um, in terms of uh, what we're learning from our collective hundreds of thousands, you know, of of, 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 uh, of of users that we survey and open sourcing that thought leadership, you know, in in, on, in content. And so that inbound engine uh, began to really work last year as we developed rich content um, that uh, was was backed on data there's so much so much content out there on culture and people and employee engagement satisfaction that's just people's opinions we literally measure it and know (laughs) what drives engagement. And um, it's not snacks. It's not prettier offices, right? It's not more benefits. Um, It's a bunch of the fundamentals of work, like my relationship with my manager, my sense of psychological safety, um, et cetera. So so speaking, content, uh, inbound. um, I think also the first wave of renewals for our category was coming up when we started. And a few early players in our space kind of pioneered it. We were not the first by any means. And then they took a software only approach that that didn't really work and left HR doing most of the work. Um, And they had a hangover already. Um, And so we did a lot of second vendor kind of rescues, if you will, where they tried out. One of our competitors had a headache and we could say, you know, in a cold call, are you having these headaches? And they would say, (laughs) yes, right now we do. We tried this other way and it didn't work. And we're able to, you know, begin a conversation with them about how our more full solution with expert consulting and coaches and methodology could better fit their needs. I think those were some of the things that,
0: that come to mind. Um, um, And as far as the consulting, was that something that you, you wanted to have that consulting piece in there, or was it something that you realized that, the software only isn't isn't going to work as well. And if we if we have a consulting layer in there, they're going to get a lot more value from the software.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if you've ever had one of those these things where you have a weakness, um, and then you focus on that weakness so much so that it becomes one of your strengths. Um, this was one of those. We did not intentionally. <laughs> this was we we had another product before this. And we didn't have enough software engineering bandwidth to do two products. Uh, so we started a second product with a PDF results presentation, uh, that we built with third party survey technology. (laughs) And then because the software wasn't really there, it was, it was just a, you know, three different other software vendors cobbled together. We had, we had, we, we had to cover up its gaps with humans um, and then we started to hear from customers that they really love a human delivering the results with them. And we're like, but it's all in the PDF. And they're like, we really love talking to a human. And I'm like, wow, but it's in the PDF. And now in the <laughs> login and the software, why don't you just read it? And it's like way cheaper for you and you can do it anytime. And they're like, yeah, we like that. But we also like talking to somebody who has had this conversation 50 times and who connected who can connect some dots in the data that I don't see and who can live have a thought partnership conversation about this because there's no one internally that I can chat about this with. And we were like, are you sure? And they're like, we're very sure. <laughs> so we, so we, you know, so we started thinking about this. What what does this mean? Are we going to become a tech services tech enabled services? And we said, no, 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 no. There's actually a way to be software very much at the core and then use technology to scale consulting in an extremely scalable way. Um, and, uh, that's, that's what we've done. So it started off covering software gaps the the humans <laughs> and the services, and then it ended up uh, being one of our core differentiators.
0: And, and then were you ever tempted to try to build kind of an independent consulting network or did it always make sense since it was pretty light touch consulting to, to keep it in house?
1: So both, um, so we do our part, um, we do the, the, um, cut uh, call it the 80% think about it as almost like a primary doc, you know, in a way, where you, you go to us and we can handle 80% of the symptoms and of the issues without without involving others. And then there's 20% of the time, the long tail of cases where we have to refer our customers to a specialist, um, that they really need more help. And of course we 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 have the choice of do we build that consultancy in-house? And then we realize there are companies out there who have been doing this for decades and are extremely good at this very narrow, you know, long tail service, instead of building it ourselves and putting all that on our payroll, um, let's partner there and bring, introduce our customers to best of breed partners. Once we've diagnosed, you know, the system or the the, uh, issue.
0: Yeah. So, so part of it is then your, your, your system and your internal people can, can really help to pinpoint what the problem is. And then sometimes these specialists Are going to be specialists in solving that type of problem. Is that is that right? You got it. Okay. So cool. So what would you? I I feel like I have a pretty good idea of sort of how you got to where you are, and then and then how you've navigated through the crisis to to even now extend the impact of what you're doing to to a lot more companies, especially those who are at a time of need. Sounds like you've gone. Beyond HR, to directly to the people who are are suffering, the managers who might be having a, an issue, staying on top of how, how they're. I mean, one they're they're rem- probably remotely managing their teams, and so it's a little harder to get a sense for for where people's heads are when you can't sort of look look at the expressions on their face day to day, except in the occasional game face of a of a Zoom meeting. Um, and then uh, and then so. But at the same time, like the, those HR teams are in less of a position to help them right now. So you went direct to the, direct to the managers with a solution, a lightweight solution. And, um, and so now you've been able to make a bigger impact. So I, it feels like there's a lot that's gone well. What would you say has been um, the biggest challenge that you've, you've faced through either the current situation or, or prior to, to that in, in terms of driving growth? Yeah.
1: You know I think one of the one of the ones that come to mind is um, being excellent at software alone is hard. and being excellent at consulting is hard alone. And then trying to do both <laughs> well, is I think exponentially harder. And so I think the operational complexity of having of deciding what needs to be software and what need, what is uniquely human and, and is truly best done by a human and then what is a combination of both. Um, just adds uh, an extra layer of complexity to product uh, to whole product decisions um that a software only or a consulting you know only company doesn't have to deal with that complexity. Um, I think that has been one of the the challenges um, for growth. Um, number two is you know in the beginning, it was uh, how do we get our you know software performs very consistently, typically. <laughs> Uh, humans are not as predictable uh, as software is in general. And so how do you uh, scale, uh, grow and maintain a high, consistent quality experience with customers on on the human side? And I think consulting and services companies are typically much more used to sort of navigating uh, those challenges software companies are not. And so we had to grow that muscle, um, to, to succeed. Um, and then lastly, um, you know, how how do we scale our go-to-market machine from the early days and make the leap to scaling where, um, I can't speak every other day in a different state, <laughs> uh, and neither can my co-founder. And so how do we, how do we scale that? Um, and so, you know, that's been a thorough combination of, um, Online content and webinars and uh, podcasts and sort of other channels that that pull out our personality and who we are more than a blog might, but is more scalable than flying to a city and giving a you know one time keynote.
0: Mm-hmm. That that makes a lot of sense. So what what does the team actually look like for? Uh, Onboarding a new customer, so reaching out, connecting with a with a new potential customer and then onboarding them and and getting them to to become an active customer um, is it is it all one team that that does that or is it a combination of a sales, marketing growth what's what sort of the the organization look like on that front?
1: Yeah, you know, so so we're considering how we evolve that, um, you know, as as we think about um, sort of a manager product or a manager approach. But uh, traditionally, it has been you know a marketing and a sales team, Um, and typically, you know, we're um, an SD sales development, um, uh, either generating the lead, the opportunity, or qualifying it, sending it over to a. A uh, inside sales team who takes a virtual, you know, sales call, demo, etc., cetera, gets to a decision and then, um, you know, closes, closes the deal. It's kind of typically the, the progression. And obviously they found out about us from the beginning and top of funnel for many number of ways, content speaking, paid ads, you know, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. And what, um, you know, without, I, I know you, I saw on the site, it doesn't look like that you necessarily list the pricing on there, but sort of what's the, What's the kind of general level of pricing? Just in in terms of you know, does is is it expensive enough to do on site uh, kind of selling? Is it is it something that is more of a higher velocity sale? Um, just generally from a, that level of pricing in in site.
1: Yeah, it's about it's about um, mostly a high velocity inside selling um, with some uh, larger opportunities that we go on site.
0: So. Sub ten thousand dollars a year, or above ten thousand as a sort of a starting price. Uh, typically starts at about ten thousand a year. Okay. Okay. Just to just to get the general idea, because obviously, um, it, price point makes a, a big difference in terms of how you can really approach growth on these things. Yes. Um, and then, as you've scaled the team, what uh, what are some of the challenges on on scaling the team? I mean, you talked about on the you know, from the software side, software tends to scale pretty predictably um, on the consulting side. Um, you know, to just even like consistency of what one consultant does versus another consultant and um how how you get people up to speed. Um, but what uh what has sort of been the 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 team scaling challenges and what have you done to overcome those?
1: Hmm. It's a good question. Um, you know, so I think uh leadership is is always a uh, an interesting question um in terms of the right mix between sort of content content brand um versus more of a demand gen kind of focused um you know marketing leader uh, or or sort of even marketing leadership group um i think i think it's part of but what's interesting is we have some offline event trade show channels we have online ones um and we also do brand content PR plays as well, and so it's, it's a fairly it's a fairly broad mix of go to market activities. And so finding um, the right mix between the marketing leader and the marketing leadership team, if you will, um, has been really challenging. Do you sort of go brand first or demand gen first, brand second? Um, that that's um, that's been a really interesting challenge on, on figuring out how to scale the team. Um, and then we did um, flirt and did an experiment with a field sales model, you know, of on-site sellers, uh, and then COVID happened. <laughs> um, and so that there's, there's a lot of conversation right now going on on the viability of uh, a field, you know, sales um, and for how long that that is just going to be a more expensive and least or at least equally effective, but (laughs) more expensive, uh, you know, sales, sales channel.
0: Right. And so I I know one of the things that um, when we had, had, had a brief conversation earlier, that this, uh, this assessment tool that, that came out with, with COVID uh, came more from the, from the product team. Is that, um, am I remembering that correct? Yes. And so, so what's the, do you feel like that you've, like your your broader team, the different functions across the company are all pretty well in sync with with working toward the same shared vision. Or do, do you ever have any of those kind of cross functional challenges as you've gotten bigger and in, in terms of getting people to always pull in the same direction?
1: Oh, so many, um, <laughs> it's, it's so many for sure. We we recently made a decision to put marketing, product, and customer success all under the same roof. Um, uh, in terms of this, the, the same department under Andrew, which which you had a chance to meet. Um, and so that really helps that it's like not cross. I mean, it is cross-functional, if you will, but it—but it's under one, you know, executive. And so he can really oversee from prospect, you know, from, from, from sign up of, of the tool to a lead to maybe a company, you know, to, to all the way through their experience, product and services um, and kind of stick stay, stay with them really the entire customer experience, except for the sales function. And that's really helped. Um, but it takes so much intentionality to define a very clear vision and really clear strategic outcomes along the way to really align the teams and not have them be here are marketing OKRs and here are product OKRs, but have something broad enough that spans the two departments so that the same goals are done. This One thing we're also doing is um, aligning variable compensation to be paid out on the same variables between marketing and product. Um, so that they're not having to be asked to make the right this this business decision <laughs> that let's, doesn't let's make them personal that number
0: and help my number yeah that, <laughs> exactly. that 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 leads to uh some some hard conversations <laughs> and yes. so are you familiar okay. with the concept you you were talking about you know different okrs can sometimes uh lead to some problems are you familiar with the concept of a north star metric and have you have you uh, played around with that at all
1: yes uh weekly manager usage um, okay for us
0: Cool. So that's that. That's weekly manager usage is going to show that those those managers are engaged on a weekly basis. And so as you were saying earlier, you knew the leading indicators of churn in, in some of the earlier things that you were trying to do were you weren't getting the engagement. So even if you hadn't seen the churn yet, it was sort of the writing on the wall. So um, that's great that you have something that uh, and then it, do, do you feel like that weekly manager engagement is something that uh, fr- from the sales team to to marketing that everybody uh, understands the role they play in moving that number
1: yeah i'd like to think so <laughs> i think we're getting there uh, but uh, but it, it's it's you know probably 6 months old or so um, okay. so i think we're still sort of operationalizing and and working out the kinks of all of that but but i think uh, at a high level yes yes uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times with that, it's it's. I, I've seen some companies just have such a, a a complicated kind of formula number for their north star metric, and then no one can recall it anyway. And so sometimes it's just having something that's simple enough that's reported on a regular basis that people start to um, to start to manage to try to to move that number. And so that that can go a long way. And then you know, the more that they can understand what their individual role plays in, in moving that number that can, that can help a lot. Um, so how, how do you, how do you figure out new, uh, new ways to accelerate growth? Do you, do you guys do much testing?
1: We do some, um, w- one thing we're, we're starting to do is, um, create, um, specific, uh, uh, we call it Star Compass OS. And uh, back in the Polynesian days, uh, when, when folks used to sail, they wouldn't use uh, compasses and, because they, they didn't exist or maps. What they did was they have a star compass. And so they memorized, um, they memorized the positions of the stars in the sky. And then between putting their hand literally in the current in the ocean uh, and looking up at the stars, they could figure out how to navigate. And so that, that we're trying to instill sort of a similar sense of that team of, of here's our North Star metric. Um, how do you do weekly, you know, daily experiments around that? And how do we structure structured experiments so that on Monday, you know, every two weeks we're designing experiments that start on a Monday, we would end on the next Thursday. And then that Friday, you know, we're reporting back uh, across functions, what we learned and what didn't. Um, so almost doing learning sprints in a way. Um, and, and that just is given it. I don't think there's anything magical about that other than just giving learning and experimentation, a bit more focus.
0: i mm-hmm. well, just understanding the, the, the broader machine, the more you kind of test around the different parts of the machine, the, the, the better you start to understand where the sensitivities are and how, how you can start to accelerate. It's like even failed experiments make you smarter about how, how the overall growth engine tends to work. It's true. I think we're
1: still on the journey of, of learning how to design really good experiments. Uh, that, that's
0: yeah, <laughs> well, I think especially when it's B two B, it's um, in, in the B two C world where you have a, a lot of velocity and you can get statistical significance on a quick A B test. It's it's way easier than when, you know, as you talked about, uh, even on the product side, you if if consultants are sometimes touching, it's just it's really hard to control all of the variables to to actually run a a pure test. But at the same time, having this. Desire to constantly improve your ability to to deliver more value to customers. uh, It's it's tough because you want to keep figuring out new and better ways to accelerate against the mission of the business. But um, yeah, in B two B, it's definitely a lot harder. Um, So speaking of which, why don't why don't we end by kind of looking at the typical journey someone takes from how they how they discover and you've touched on some of that already, but how how they would initially kind of get. Amplify on their radar screen at all, and then and then to the point where they become this raving fan and and uh, and you know they're telling other companies they should be checking this out. what What would that path typically look like?
1: Yeah. so I think the first step is they come across our content, and that can be from a LinkedIn post we posted um, from you know tier one publication, like a Forbes or Fast company who both just ran stories in the last two weeks. You know about the uh, you know taking Fridays off, uh, you know piece, um, uh, hearing me speak, go attending a webinar. So in some way, consuming content, some form of content that we developed. Um, then they probably find ourselves find themselves on our website, um, and they, they check us out, and um, and um, either they get um, they fill out something. So we, we either contact them, you know, via email or via phone number, or the, or they contact us. But either way, um, they end up in a conversation with one of our um, uh, sales development folks who just want to, want to make sure uh, that they are passing them on to the right uh, person to, to have a conversation with sort of a qualification um, uh, event. Um, and then they would speak to um, one of our sales. So we're talking about the more traditional path. Um, they, they would speak to one of our sales reps, which would do, you know, five to 10 minutes of high value Education in the beginning of the call, just helping frame the context and sort of the the world and and, and the trends around employee engagement and organizational health. And would then ask a bunch of questions uh, of the other person uh, to make sure that we can help them. If by the end of that call, that person feels like we can help them and they fit our criteria because we don't work with everybody, that we think we can help them. Um, then um, you know we'll talk about next steps um, to 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 sign a deal uh, or schedule a demo with the broader leadership team or something like that, and then they, obviously they become a customer um, and then they immediately get introduced um, to their account manager, who's who's kind of their cruise ship director in a way, connecting them to the right people if they're in the right organization. We do a kickoff call um, where we under deeply I and mean, we get their try to get their CAO CFO chief, you know, HR officer to really talk about where's your business headed? Like, wh- wh- what's your strategy? What are your goals? Um, to understand how their business strategy maps to their people's strategy, because I think that's a huge mistake that many HR teams uh, do initiatives that don't contribute to the business strategy. So we want to make sure that we, we connect those dots. And so it's really just about setting an intention and success criteria for, for the engagement. What, tell us if we can do this for you you would be a happy customer, thrilled and renew with us. And and we define those outcomes and we write them down and we use those outcomes to manage the entire relationship. So we say, okay, we can, we can get you those outcomes. Here's what we're going to do. So we clarify the roles. Here's what we're going to do to achieve those outcomes. And here's what you're going to need to do to achieve these. Cause we can't just do it for them. Right. Um, but we play an important part. So we clarify roles and then, you know, we kick, we kick off the project. Um. Um, and then, you know, a couple of days later, um, we, they, they have, they have a call with us, um, and access data either on demand with, on their software platform, um, or we walk them through that data on a call. Um, and the first time it's, it's just interesting because this is maybe one of their first times they really have seen their culture and their teams visualized in a heat map in terms of how engaged they are with the organization and their work, um. And then over time, they begin to say, I want to focus on their area and we help them know what to do. And then they actually go and do that area, do that action and fix that problem. And the score increases and then something in the business massively changes. Um, Like, hey, my customer success team is pretty burnt out. Um, And so then they uh, change their PTO policy to make it more flexible uh, or something. I'm just making up a scenario. Um, And then all of a sudden their customer, Three months later, their c- customer NPS goes up, their rest drivers go up at the same time, and their turnover of customer success managers is down by fifteen percent. And in the exit interviews, um, they say that um, um, you know the part of it was, was was that too. So we get confirmed. So anyway, so they see some meaningful change in their business, um, and then they get promoted or they get celebrated, and they're like, "Oh wow! Like I kind of knew that this was an issue, but I." Didn't fully have it confirmed, and Amplify came in, and the data helped confirm my gut hunch, helped me find clarity on how to state what I kind of had a hunch around, and then I picked the right action and executed and communicated in the right way because I had this expert advisor in Amplify, and something massively changed in my business. Holy cow! That that, that Amplify is awesome. Like, let me tell my friends about it. Um, mm-hmm. That would be kind of the journey.
0: Awesome. Well, so and then it sounds like. It sounds like it's such a solution, like there there's that problem discovery, and then you're really mapping the solution to it. So it'd, it'd be pretty tough to to offer some kind of trial or pilot with it. Is that is that why you don't have something like that? Or do you sometimes offer a, a pilot or a trial?
1: Yeah, you know, we have tried tried uh trials and 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 they don't it's hard to scale um us doing kind of that human assistance. Um uh, with all those trials. And and that's really what's, you know, it's, it's like stepping on a weight scale, you know, and if you're trying to gain or lose weight, and if you just see the same problem over and over again, it's kind of discouraging and you're not going to want to step on that scale again. (laughs) Um, and so that, that's kind of what many times employee surveys can be is you already know the problem. Um, and you don't do anything about the problem. It doesn't get better, but, um, if you can actually get a, call it a personal trainer in this made up example that can really text you every day and say, Hey, like, how was your diet? Hey, did you work out? Um, that can really help. And then you go back to the scale and it, you gain five pounds or you lose five pounds, which is what you were trying to do. And and you get that kind of reward and that keeps you, keeps you going. So I think that's one of the reasons why, but we're, you know, we're, I don't know if we're done uh, trying <laughs> trials.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the, it, there's never, when you get to the point where you feel like you have everything perfect, then uh, that's that's pretty scary. So that's there's true. always, yeah, there's always that tweaking to try to figure out is is there a better way to to accelerate how you can help customers. Um, so so speaking of that, a question that I love to end with is um, just what, what do you feel like you understand about growth now that you may not have understood a couple of years ago, and not just growth in your business, but just growth in general.
1: <sighs> growth in general.
0: And I mean, you can say about your business and we can then map that out to what that means to growth in general, but just, but just, uh, yeah, that how, how growth itself works. I, you know, I think,
1: uh, as I understand, I'm sure there's many more ingredients, but for us, um, we've had one and not the other ingredient at times. And, and for us, it's required both ingredients. And what I mean by that is, um, having a really clear vision of where we're headed and then having one inch one foot step forward experiments and if if we're all we're doing is experimenting one foot on top of the other and there's not that north star vision that that constant it's you go really really slow (laughs) Uh, because you have to kind of painfully validate each little step instead of looking up and you're like oh I'm still headed toward that mountain. So I'm closer to it. Um, and, or you could have a really clear strategy, but not do the zigzagging it takes through experimentation. Um, and that usually leads you off a cliff um, because you're not testing whether the next you know foot is sure ground. You're just confident because you've got a vision and you think you know what the playbook is, but that inch by inch experimentation isn't happening. And for us, it's had it's to be both. Uh, clear enough vision to be guiding, directing, and guiding, but not at all tell folks how we're going to get there. And then relentless, high-velocity, intelligent experiments, experimentation, to help us carve the path um, of whether we're going to go get there via the right way, or the south way, or the north way.
0: Right, right. No, I love that. That's that's uh, that definitely aligns with my my thinking on things. And um, you know, it was a uh, there's a quote that's been out there for a really long time. And I was surprised that I, I didn't stumble across it until only a few months ago, but it's a Jeff Bezos quote from Amazon, where he says, uh, our success at Amazon is a function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per day. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, there's no improvement without experimentation. And, and yes, you can experiment without learning, but if you, if you have that that clear focus on what you're trying to achieve. Like you said, the, the, the clarity of vision, the North star around that vision and the experiments are steps that, that get you closer to that or accelerate against what, what it is that you're how, how you deliver value to customers, then, then you do keep getting better and keep accelerating growth. So um, I'm glad to, to hear you echoing Jeff Bezos to some degree there. Um,
1: yeah, I think one of the best um, articles I've ever read was, um, it, was in, it wasn't even applicable to me. It just introduced this concept of rate of learning, ROL, and how that is the most important metric uh, for. And this was in the context of, here's one thing I wish I knew when in my 20s. And this person's thesis was don't optimize for the brand, like, you know, Apple or something on your logo, don't optimize for the pay, how much you get paid. Optimize for an environment will you have the most rate of learning? Where will you get the most opportunity and learning handed to you where you can just learn so much and that will serve you well over a 20, 30, 40 year career so much better than optimizing for comp or brand or something else? And since then I've always held on to man, I think I think an organization's ability to increase enterprise value by delighting customers and delivering amazing value and delightful experiences. Is dependent on the rate of learning of an organization as like the leading indicator muscle of goodness. Absolutely, <laughs>
0: I, no I love that. So that's a perfect note to end on. So, um, <laughs> Santi, thank you so much for for opening up and sharing everything that you're doing to to grow, amplify, and congratulations on being able to uh, navigate. What, what is a really challenging time for a lot of companies. And, and, and I know it's challenging for you guys as well, but it sounds like that you're making the most out of, out of the situation to help as many companies as you can. So congratulations on that. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast.
1: Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.